Hello, and a very warm welcome back to Words, the Bee Gees podcast. Season's greetings. Season's greetings from me, Stuart. And from me, Cristiano. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the Bee Gees' first release from 1970, Cucumber Castle. And on this episode, we're going to do the same as with Robin's Reign. We're going to go back, well, it's almost 53 years, isn't it? Yep. To when they started recording Cucumber Castle, which was February time. Yeah, there was quite a large gap between the beginning of recording for this album, early 1969. And I think, Chris, it was, was it April 70, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. It came out in April 1970. But then the television special, the film Cucumber Castle, wasn't broadcast until the 26th of December of 1970. Since Odessa, we've lost Robin, which we discussed that. Yes, yeah. In the last episode. And then we've also lost Colin, who's departed the band There's no clear story as to how this happened, and there's two different stories. On the one hand, Morris says that Colin has his own business interest while we are spreading into television and films. We have all been aware for some time that our ways were separating. Mr Stigwood has offered to release Colin from his contract so that his career will not be held back. But Colin tells a different story, saying that After the Bee Gees did Top of the Pops, everything was fine. Then I suddenly get this letter delivered by Robert Stigwood's chauffeur saying I'm out of the group. Just like that. That was severe, wasn't it? No phone call or anything. I am deeply hurt. I am a partner of the Bee Gees. I have no alternative but to turn this matter over to my lawyers and ask them to dissolve the partnership known as the Bee Gees. Barry and Morris are welcome to go out as the brothers Gibb. I don't think they or anyone else can replace the Bee Gees. And then Barry, ever the diplomat, says... The only way to continue as the Bee Gees is to continue as two people. A lot of songs on our albums haven't had a drummer at all. That's no reflection on Colin, they just haven't needed a drummer. Morris and I will make records together. I don't think we'll make records individually, as far as I can see. Robin's leaving the group hurt me a lot, but I think his success is fantastic, and I hope Colin succeeds. Within that quotation, Morris said that they were spreading into television and films, but it's during this period that plans for Lord Kitchener's Little Drummer Boys, this project that's been in the works for a couple of years now. Since 67, wasn't it? Yeah. The plans are officially dropped, and Barry says, I thought it would be a catastrophe. I wasn't keen on the story for a start. It was a much too colourful film, and reminded me too much of The Beatles' help. Well, around this time, Chris, the Bee Gees make a surprise appearance on the It's Happening for Lulu. Noticeable is there's only just Barry and um, Morris, no Robin. And they broadcast a Get Well message. So whether it, at that time it must have been, at the time of recording, that they weren't 100% sure what Robin was doing. Yeah, it was led to believe that uh, Robin was given a doctor's certificate for nervous exhaustion. When in reality... He'd, he'd obviously gone, hadn't he? Yeah. And it's also about around this time that the Bee Gees going to... Bee Gees, I mean Barry, Morris and Colin, going to the recording studio and record a couple of tracks, which will become the A and B side, which is Tomorrow Tomorrow and Sunny My Morning. So we'll start by looking at Tomorrow Tomorrow. Like Jumbo, 
I think this is a really weird choice for single. I like the song. I think it gets lost because you've got 1st of May before it. And then the next big hit really is Don't Forget to Remember. So it's sort of lost in the middle of that, isn't it? Yes. I like it as a single. I think it's a change of tempo from a slow ballad of 1st of May and equally slow with Don't Forget to Remember. I like the different sections it's got in it. That was the first thing that I noticed when listening to it, was the structure, which seems like two different songs sequenced together. Yeah. There's the faster, more jumbo-like section. But when it gets into the Tomorrow Everyone Gonna Know Me Better section, that sounds a lot more like Cucumber Castle. There's that soulful piano ballad. Barry commented on the choice to release Tomorrow Tomorrow as a single as a mistake that Robert Stigwood very rarely made. I think it was it was the first song to be recorded in the studio, so I think they just wanted a rush release. When they found out Robin, or they thought he was in the process of leaving, they thought, right, let's get in the studio, let's get a couple of tracks down. I think this was just so it appeared to the public that the Bee Gees were, you know, nothing was going to stop them, they were just going to carry on whatever. And on the, I don't, I'm not sure about the Americans, but on the UK release, on the label, it says featuring Barry, Morris and Colin. So whether they was sort of saying, well, this is the new threesome, I don't know. There is a music video for Tomorrow Tomorrow, and Colin is in that. Oh, OK. So I would imagine, yeah, that there was intention at this point when this single was released that the Bee Gees were going to be the three of them, but then Colin departed... And that changed. Okay. And actually, watching that music video gave me a bit of a new appreciation for the song. Yeah. To be honest, I think that... Well, that's what they're meant to do, isn't it? Yeah. Even though I'm not sure if this ever had much of an airing. Well, I would think they probably used it to go, if they couldn't appear on a TV show, which they probably didn't do a lot of during the split. And it was they just obviously sent them, like they do now, I suppose, send the video and it was shown. Because that's music videos seem to be the order of the day for Cucumber Castle because in the TV film there's for nearly all of the songs from the album that feature in the film there is a music video yeah. to go alongside of it not all successful is it but, <laughs> uh, but at least it gives you an idea what the and it's good to see them sing it as well isn't it yeah This song was initially written for Joe Cocker. He came to prominence when he covered the Beatles with a little help from my friends. Okay. He's sort of, sort of a raucousy singer from Sheffield. The story goes that he sent them the Bee Gees or, or he was desperate or wanted some, a new single or something. So he, he was sent this, but it didn't reach him in time. And in the end, he got a song called Delta Lady, which was a huge hit. So it worked out quite well that he didn't get this. I prefer if he went with the unreleased track, Who Knows What A Room Is, because that's sort of more raucous, and I think it, it would suit his style better. Robin said, I thought Tomorrow Tomorrow was a lovely single, and I'm sorry it didn't get as high as it should have. And also, you've got another quote from Morris, and he said, I don't think it was quite us, but I do like it. Okay, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. We'll flip this single over and listen to Sun In My Morning. And all my problems 
sing to Grammy. There is a thing I'm thinking of. Sun in my morning and my sky above. Well, I love this song, Chris, actually. I think it deserved a better fate than stuck on the B-side of, of Tomorrow Tomorrow. Yes. Do you think it's got a, a similar feel to In the Morning of My Life? I, I know it doesn't mean because they're both saying morning. <laughs> in my notes, I've written down that Sun in My Morning is worthy of placement on any Bee Gees album, especially albums from 1970 to 1974. I think it could easily slip on to To Whom It May Concern or Life in a Tin Can. It would be fine on Cucumber Castle. I wish it was on Cucumber Castle. You're quite right, it's wasted as a B-side. What I like with this is the way it starts. It's quite stripped back. Yeah. But then gradually as the song progresses, it gets bigger and bigger. Another song that you and I would describe as a pretty Barry song. Yeah. And also if you listen to it closely, Chris, you get the impression there's just the two of them sitting on stools with guitars, strumming, singing. And it's what I think of like something like Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. Whenever the Bee Gees appear on a talk show and they'll pull out their guitars and they'll just start playing and they'll do some harmonising to, to love somebody. It's like that, Yeah, how I, you picture them to be. I mean, we watched one not too long ago, didn't we? And it was superb, wasn't it? How they, how they just get their guitars, quick little bit of tuning or TV editing and uh, um, they're away, aren't they? Yeah. To love somebody, love somebody Supposedly the 19th of March when Sun In My Morning and Tomorrow Tomorrow were recorded, that's when Robin announced that he was leaving the Bee Gees to pursue a solo career. Now this is from The Ultimate Biography. Doing some cross-referencing and research, I couldn't find a definitive date in which Robin announced he was leaving. Okay. Other than this might also be the date that Robert Stigwood announced he was suing Robin. But if it was the case that, you know, this was the day that it became clear that Robin was leaving the band, the lyrics of Sun In My Morning become quite poignant. When all of my troubles just surround me, and all my problems seem to ground me, there is a thing I'm thinking of, Sun In My Morning, and my sky above. Yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head there, haven't you? I hadn't thought of that. How did this perform in the charts? Well, I should think for the Bee Gees, this was a big disappointment. I mean, it got to number 23 in the UK and 54 in the USA, but... Again, they can rely on Germany to pump the sales up. It got to number six. So, yeah, I think they're pretty disappointed. Yeah, particularly that. in comparison to Saved by the Bell. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time it was put onto an LP was the, the box set from 1990. These would have been some of the last songs that Colin performed on before. I, I would have thought so. I know that he worked on a few of the songs that ended up on Cucumber Castle, but these would have been his last few times in the recording sessions with the Brothers Gibb. Yeah. In April, the Bee Gees actually performed at the Talk of the Town. I don't know whether it was a colour production. Unfortunately, everything's all been lost now. I mean, I've looked on YouTube, I can't see anything. And then 
I read somewhere that it's been one of these programmes that's been wiped. But it's, it's a pretty special performance in that uh, rather than having Robin, you've got Leslie perform with them. Looking at the set list, you've got New York Mining Disaster, Kitty Can, With the Sun in My Eyes, Suddenly, To Love Somebody, Seven Seas Symphony, First of May, They Go Back to Morning of My Life, I've Got to Get a Message to You, Spicks and Specks, they do the B-side to the single, Sunny My Morning, and finish off with World. It's such a shame that that's missing. I'd love to see well, the performance with Leslie and hear Seven Seas Symphony live. Yeah. In an interview with The Mirror in the UK in 2012, Leslie says, I loved it on that night. I know Robin watched it and he said he felt very choked up about it. I couldn't sound like Robin, of course, but our harmonies as Gibb family members sounded very much the same. I can imagine that. Yeah. He said he loved my performance, but I told him, if you felt like that, why don't you just come back then? And uh, that might have sunk in. Well, I would think it would have done. I mean, to to see two brothers and sister on stage, especially as she's never performed. Well, I don't know whether she has ever, but um, during their sort of popularity, she never appeared, has she? Robin would realise what he's missing out on. Oh, he would have done. We will start looking through the album Cucumber Castle, beginning with the first track, If I Only Had My Mind on Something Else. This is a really beautiful opener to the album. I think so. We've said it in the past. In every episode, haven't we? We've made a comment on, on how good they are at starting. Even Robin's solo album, they, they, they're good at starting. Yeah, knowing how to begin an album. As great as this song is, I can understand why it wasn't chosen as a big commercial single. I think this type of song would be perfected with How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. It sounds like a... There's nothing immediately that jumps out at you with this one. Is as, as, as you know, if you listen to the radio, yeah, there's no big chorus. It doesn't lead to any big chorus, does it? It, it, it? As you say, it's a lovely song, but it just floats. But one thing about this, I think it's got a great Barry vocal, hasn't it? This one. Oh yeah. This song sets the tone for the album. Just about to say that. That's oh, right. Sorry about that. Yes, I said the song is very majestic and it sets the tone for the album. Oh, I, I, I won't read them honestly, <laughs> but it really continues on from Odessa. Yeah, this could have been on that album. It sets the tone for the album, but what this song does so well is that it you don't miss Robin on this song, uh, and that's on my note as well. Yeah, I, if I, he was I've, on it, it would be better. But it's it's not done in a way. We don't mean it in a way that you know because of what was going on. It's just the way it, it, the, it's a Barry song, isn't it? Yeah. And we've, we've heard him on other albums where, where Barry is predominant, i.e. words, where you don't need to hear every brother, do you? No. There's great imagery with the lyrics on this song. My favourite is Captain of the Submarine Beneath the Icebergs Never Seen. Mm. There's something very magical about that yeah. lyric. And it flows, doesn't it? Yeah. Captain of the 
submarine beneath the icebergs never seen a hero with a medal for every day in terms of what the song's about all i could get was it's about regret isolation mm. not being able to succeed be honest with you, Chris, I haven't looked too deep in the lyrics of this one, which is, which is my forte, isn't it, in, in not looking too deep at things. If you don't jump out at me, I don't always, I always rely on you to uh, tell me what it's about. I can, I can hum it and sort of sing it, but... Uh, so when did you first hear Cucumber Castle? Well, I for this podcast, I poured out the album, and I've actually got the receipt in it from 1986. Mm-hmm. I paid the grand total of £5 for it. Really splashing out for this album. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's in good quality as well. It's so much better, isn't it, when you look at the album? Especially with this album. I'm looking at that LP in front of me now. And the images, we'll talk about the album packaging at the end. But the photography, which is all Barry and Morris photos from on set for the Cucumber Castle TV film. And with all the fonts and the text. Some of the text is quite difficult to read. But yeah, it's it's great to look at it. And all. totally the opposite to the previous LP. There's no pictures at all. Yeah. This one, they were determined to show you that there's the, the Bee Gees are a twosome. So before hearing Cucumber Castle, the album, which songs had you already heard, if any? I th- remember hearing I.O.I.O. from the best Bee Gees 2. And that's about it. So this one, Chris, it was uh, recorded in September. So quite later on in the recording of the album... It was the precursor to, or, or released as a precursor to the album in March, April time, I think. Because the album came out in April, didn't it? Yeah. So yeah, this, it would have released in March. But all I can find is, or the, what, the notes I've got, that it was a extremely minor hit in America. Hmm. Unfortunately, their fortunes are tumbling a bit. It got to 91. But as I said earlier, it, it's not a song. It's not immediate. And I, I, I don't really really class it as a pop song or a ballad. And whether whether the Americans, you know, whereas the UK, I suppose, whether we thrive on a bit of publicity with the, the split and the Americans had different views on it. And it, it, it the split was bad publicity for them. Yeah. I don't know. And also Cucumber Castle, the TV film, I know it was broadcast on the BBC in the UK. And it had Frankie Howard, Lulu, all names that were big in the UK, whether it meant anything to anyone in the US. Well, I wouldn't have thought so. So therefore, as a result, this album might have been inconsequential. Yeah. Cashbox reviewed If I Only Had My Mind on Something Else for their March 7th, 1970 Picks of the Week. And they described it as a splendid ballad side that comes out fresh rather than a parody of the original Bee Gees. This stunning performance, both vocal and instrumental, and a less obscure lyric, should take them back into the good graces of the teens with explosive sales results. Oh dear. That's slightly optimistic. I'm completely behind them. I agree with them. I really, really do like this song. And I can understand why it wasn't setting the charts on fire. And it didn't, it wasn't an explosive, uh, it didn't result in explosive sale results. It's a wonderful song, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Unfortunately for me, the album peaks here because this is a 9 out of 10 and from here onwards nothing ever reaches that height. Yeah, I've gone with a 9 as well on this. Although it is impossible for me to ever hear this song and at the end not go into the drum roll of I.O. I.O. It's true, isn't it? They, they sort of go well together but they're, they're poles apart, aren't they? Yeah, they are. 
Well, for this one, Chris, the Bee Gees dip back to a song that was recorded the previous year in 68. I really like this. This is where we're going to... The first of our differences, because this song's never done anything for me. I, I really like this. I think uh, um, the vocals are really good. The interplay between Barry and Morris again. The hook is really catchy. The chorus of I.O. I.O. is something that we've not seen yet on any Bee Gees record, certainly from the ones that we've looked at in the podcast so far, in that it is a chant. Do you think it hits people too soon? Because if you think what's to come, there's quite a lot of ballady type songs, isn't there? Mm. Because it's the most upbeat one on this side. Have you ever heard the earlier version of 1968? No, I've tried to scan... The internet, see if I can find anything, and I can't. Because I would like to hear what Robin's involvement would be. Yeah. You know I love getting up in the morning When the sun first strikes the trees There is the lyric in the song, I love getting up in the morning. And I found a quotation from Barry where he's talking about the filming of the Cucumber Castle TV film. Yeah. And both him and Morris found that through having to get up so early in the morning to record for that film, they rediscovered mornings. Because they said that before that, they were so used to waking up in the afternoon or late morning, then going into the studio and then going... Working through the evening. Working through the evening. That Barry said, I didn't know there was a six o'clock in the morning. I thought it only happened at night. Oh, right, yeah. All the morning birds that sing above still bring back memories. When I first started planning for this episode of the podcast and this song came on I thought this is a 4 out of 10 yeah then I listened to it okay and I had my score down as a 5 then over a few more listens of the album just a few more listens it grew on me and I'm now going to give it a 6 out of 10 okay well I've gone with an 8 on this one Mm -hmm. and the next one we've got is and then you left me Okay, so track three, and this is the first sort of downbeat, melancholic tone of the album. Yeah, he's back in that sort of territory of broken hearts. and Yeah. We're treading on old Bee Gees ground, I think, with this one, do you think? And also looking forwards, because this sounds like an early version of Don't Want to Live Inside Myself from Trafalgar. Yes, it does. I think that's a much better song. Oh, yeah, I prefer that one. I think this is a fine ballad. And again, like Sun in My Morning, this could be on any of the Bee Gees albums going up until Life in a Tin Can. And I don't like to read too much into what lyrics could mean with regards to what Barry might have been thinking with the lyric or what Morris's interpretation of the lyric was. But then you left me and then Robin goes. Yeah, I I just think that's to do with, with relationships within, yeah. within a... An imaginary couple or something. I, I, I wouldn't put anything with Robin on this one. No. This is a really powerful Barry vocal. Well, I think he's so strong on this album. Yes, he is. Now, this could be him trying to compensate for the absence of Robin. Yeah. He, do you reckon, now that Robin's gone, 
Barry realises that he has to give it the extra 10%. He seems to be singing it in a slightly lower register. Yes. Because this album, as a whole, has a more country feel to it. To get the, the feel, he's had to slightly adapt his vocal. Not too much, but there's enough to be noticeable. Yes. And as we'll go on to other songs, I think he um, he puts on a certain American accent as well. Yeah. Is this the first time on a Bee Gees record where there's, where there's a, a spoken word? Because he says, then you left me. Yeah, because the verse leads you on to think that there's going to be a really, really big chorus. But Barry subverts that and just speaks. Yeah. The only other example from beforehand that I can think of on an album is the beginning of Odessa with the introduction. And again, I think that was that was Barry again, wasn't it? Yeah. And I suppose also give your best. But I can see what you mean. Spoken word. During the song and as part of the main hook or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, Chris, I've gone with a seven on this one. So unfortunately, I'm decreasing every, every track. I was torn between a six and a seven, but it sits... I think closer to a six. Yeah. Play a song. What do you get for trying? Miniature boring, you're dying. Body of six, be down. The Lord said the stool sticks around. You can believe what you wanna, but I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna believe in the Lord. You can believe what you wanna, but I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna believe in the Lord. When I'm listening to Cucumber Castle, The Lord is the first track where I can really get the flavour of country. And also, we've got Morris really brought to the fore, which is fantastic. I'm always pleased whenever Morris gets his moment in the limelight. There's fantastic bass work from Morris, and he's got his deep backing vocal. Yeah, well, I... I would describe this song as you say country but I think it's got a bit of gospel in it as well yes and also Morris's swamp rock coming in it's his style that he's pulling forward from suddenly from Odessa and going back to the previous track this one is where the American accent really comes out yeah I'm gonna believe in the Lord going back to what you said earlier Chris it's quite nice now to hear guitars as well Yes, it is. It's much more stripped back than Odessa was in terms of its production, and it's nice to go back to guitar. Not so heavy, is it? Yeah, and a more acoustic feel. Mm. And I would imagine that that's because Cucumber Castle was recorded in the UK in IBC Studios in London, compared to Odessa, which was partially recorded in America. Yeah, I think there was a good five tracks, wasn't there, that was started over there. Yeah. And given the acoustic country flavour of this song I can imagine it being on Greenfield's volume 2 or 3 should they ever happen yeah and if he decides to go deep cut which he has mentioned hasn't he so in fact I'd like to do an album with no previous singles on it you know no well known tracks all all deep cuts so you're getting an album that's virtually new to the general public whether it would sell as well I don't know but it's Something worth trying, isn't it? Yeah. Out of interest, I took a look on Wikipedia to find out more about this song. And it says that the lyrics are looking forward to an eternity in heaven and pledging to believe in the Lord till death. Oh, okay. And it does describe the song as country gospel. 
And of course, all art is subjective. So different interpretations from different backgrounds, people would read different things into this. Yeah. But either way, I think it's a very fine song. Seven out of ten. Yeah, well, I'm a little bit low on you, Chris. I've gone with a six. And that leads us on to the next song, the penultimate on side one, I Was the Child. I still remember the face that made me cry. For all to see, my story ends. I found the love, now not even friends. I Was the Child feels like a continuation of First of May, Sound of Love. That yeah. piano ballad hitting the high keys on the piano keyboard. It's that type of a song. Yeah, and I don't know whether you noticed, Chris, but... This one, and I probably didn't mention it on the previous song, but they both start differently to where they end. Yeah, that's true. I because the that. Lord starts off with that, is it guitar? Guitar going into bass. Yeah. And if you listen to this one, I think, like, plod, would you say ploddy or really slowly, but then gradually builds up. Fantastic yeah. chorus. Yeah. Really great crying chorus from Barry. Well, I think so. I think I think it's his vocal's excellent. So. And actually, I've got in my notes, the chorus deserves a better verse. Yeah. But again, I think that I am missing Robin the whole song could be lifted by his harmonies or him taking over to do the verse or he could split the chorus with Barry. Yeah. The thing with this album is because there's quite a few songs similar, on first play, you can find they just blend into each other. Yeah. But on a, a previous Bee Gees album, some of these songs would really stand out and I, I think this is one of them. It needs something before it and after it to show what a good song it really yes. is. Yeah. With the excellent keyboard work from Morris in this song, I thought I'd share with you a quotation that I found. And this was from Barry talking about his partnership, where it's just him and Morris during this period. And he says, Morris and I love ballads, which is very evident on Cucumber Castle. Oh, yeah. He says, you can't make us do rock and roll. We'll stick to what we can do with our hearts, not with our heads. The songwriting will be done between us. I write the lyrics and Morris comes up with some beautiful chords. I think that's a fascinating insight into the working relationship between Morris and Barry. The two of them, yeah. Yeah. And you could see that. You could imagine Morris sat at the piano, Barry sat with a guitar and between them they're forming these songs. Mm. I wonder if there's many songs or you think there are many songs this album that that have been improvised. Yeah. You said with the Lord and I was the child where they start differently to how they end. Maybe that was improvisation. Yeah. They start as one idea, they finish as another, but there's a progress there. There's a journey of them writing together. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to tomorrow, tomorrow, doesn't it? Yeah. With the different segments. And as you said, it feels like two songs sort of snug together. But these do it much better than Tomorrow Tomorrow. 
So there's certainly progression from there. Yeah. We're talking, what, five or six months further down the line, aren't we? So they're, they're obviously used to working with just the two of them now. And, and five, six months for them in this time was five or six years. Yeah. The amount that they were getting up to. No, do you know what? I'm going to change it on the spot here. I've given it a six, but I really like this song and I'm going to give it a seven. Well, I've gone for a seven. Yeah. I lay down and die. Now the tempo, <laughs> the tempo and mood of the song, aren't what the title would suggest. If that makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're expecting a really yeah. melancholic, somber, slow piece, but it's as you describe an up song compared to what you'd expect. Yeah. And I think there's a great machine gun-like drum roll going through. Well, do you think that's anything to what I was saying earlier about improvisation with the, with the drum beat and the piano? It could have started with the drum beat or with the, the piano rhythm and they built the lyrics on top of that. Yeah, because what I like, the way Barry is, is really soulful on this, especially the end with all the ad-libs and the bits and pieces. Yeah, there's a very big production style to this. It's full spectre-ish. Yes, it is. It's the biggest production, I think, so far. Yeah. Also, something that's worthy of note, and I didn't know this until conducting the research for this episode, but in an interview for the NME on September 13th, Barry said that the new album would be called I Lay Down and Die. Oh, that's a good cheerful little yeah. album title, isn't it? He also said that the album would be out in November. The well, name was changed and the album didn't appear until April. Yeah, so you're talking to the five months later, aren't you? I think there might also have been things with Robin. They might have thought things might be moving in a certain way. He could come back to the group, therefore we'll hold on the album. Then come spring 1970, okay, he might not be coming back to the group immediately. We'll release the album then. And then he returns. Yeah. That's speculation. Because Robin, Robin's reign didn't come out until... Very early 1970. Yeah. Theirs must have followed just a little bit later on then. Yeah. There is a demo for I Lay Down and Die, which we have and we'll play... And I really like this, hearing this much earlier version of the song. Well, I think it's got a, a Brian Wilson-y, sort of a Beach Boys demo. There's the similar Wilson harmonies at the beginning. Yeah. sounds like it, there's P.P. Arnold. She is on backing vocals for Bury Me Down by the River, but I don't know whether on the final album she's still in the mix for I Lay Down and Die, but on this demo you can really hear her. Yeah. P. 
P.P. Arnold had quite a significant involvement with the Brothers Gibb during this period, and vice versa. However, we will discuss her involvement with the Gibbs more in depth in a future episode when we look at particularly Barry's material from this era. Yeah, with the kids no good, it was a um, it was sort of another project that he got himself involved with. Yeah, it's one that we'll discuss a bit later, so I won't say what I think at the moment. We'll, we'll cover it then. Yes. How do you feel about this as the close of a side one? It goes back to what I said earlier, Chris, that it's just this side to me seems way laden too much on this style of song. I think it ends the side really well. Yes. I think it's slightly better than the previous song. I've given it a seven like I was the child, but this would be an upper seven. Yes, I've gone with seven as well. All right, well, let's flip the album over. Okay, sweetheart. This is the country moment on the album. Yeah, I think this is great. I think this is so commercial. I think anybody listening to this album would have thought this was the big smash hit. Yeah. As opposed to Don't Forget. It was even put as a B-side, so it was tucked away, which is bizarre to me. I mean, mean, this is only sort of what I think, but it, it just stands out there as the big hit that wasn't. We also have a demo for this song, and listening to that, the demo is slower than the final yeah, version. Yeah, the demo, to me, sort of blends in with the rest of the songs they album. It, it, if they'd have done it in that style, it, it would, to me, it would have just blended in with the others. If your heart tells you so I regard it as the sister or even the twin song to I'll Kiss Your Memory. You, I'll I think it that way. Now, I, I would think it, to me, sounds like a distant cousin to Sea of Smiling Faces. Yeah, I can see that as well. And even possibly Moonlight from the Barry album. The verse has nearly as many hooks in it as the chorus. And it does have that very country... It always sounds to me like horse hooves clopping along the path. Yeah. That dun dun dun. And a good side opener as well. Mm, that's, that's what I put on my notes, actually. It's, it's a nice change of pace for when you flip the album over. As you said earlier, it could have been the opener to side one for the yeah. album. Again, cracking vocals, particularly Morris's contribution as well. Yeah, and you can hear him a lot more on the demo as well, coming in to support Barry. Yeah. You and I Fortunately, there was a singer called Engelbert Humperdinck, which I think we've mentioned before. He actually took it to number 22 in the UK and 47 in the US. That's good. Yeah, though 
in America there are various charts and it did hit number one in the middle of the road chart above James Taylor with Fire and Rain. You got people like Dion Warwick, Make It Easy on Yourself, Andy Williams, Home Loving Man. Um, yeah, so there's quite a few that it, it actually reached and it did receive favourable reviews. In Billboard, it said, or it wrote, from the pen of Barry and Morris Gibb comes a ballad beauty, perfect for Humperdinck style, and could easily prove his biggest ever. Exceptional material and performance. Cashbox listed it fourth in its pick of the week, right behind Bread's It Doesn't Matter, writing, from Enkelbert Humperdinck's treatment, it's hard to recognise this as material from the Bee Gees. Attractive ballad rendition of Sweetheart gives, gives him a bright entry for middle-of-the-road programmers, and should entice plenty of people to buy it. It's great as ever if the Bee Gees themselves can't have a hit with their own songs. If somebody else can, that's always really great to see. Yeah. And and listen to it. It does sound like Bill Shepard produced it, but it's got a different producer. So it's got quite a similarity to it, but it's good to hear the Bee Gees material again, sung by somebody else and doing well. Which is how they started. Yeah. When you're listening to Cucumber Castle, do you prefer these country-flavoured songs or do you prefer the ballads? What attracted me to the Bee Gees initially was the ballads. But I think Barry's got a brilliant knack of writing catchy tunes. When he's on form, which I think this is, it blends so well with the ballads. But with this album, we are getting predominantly ballads. Yeah. And now I think the point that this is the point of the album where we need a Robin. Yes. Tweet, tweet. (laughs) I think our scores here are going to differ quite a bit. I'll let you go first. I'm going with a nine. Okay, I'm I'm on a six. You're on a six. Yeah. And if you're not happy with me, then you can bury me down by the river. <laughs> Look at no future with me. After my wrong, can I sing, sing, sing my song? Stand beneath the hanging tree. Okay, so with this song, I'd like to pose a question to you. We've got P.P. Arnold providing very fine, supportive backing vocals. Is this the only occasion where the female voice appears on a Bee Gees record? I think it is. It, it's, that is funny because I was listening to the album in the car today. I thought, I wonder what this album would sound like if she was on more tracks. Would that distract from it being a Bee Gees, traditional Bee Gees album? Did they do this album to prove what the two of them can do? I'm, I'm, I'm undecided, really. I, there are quite a few songs that I think would be enhanced by her backing vocals. Yes. Because Robin's pitch is different to Barry's. Yeah. 
And I think Barry's voice works really well with female singers, which we did, we'll discuss in, in, when we come to the 80s. Yeah, with Barry, who's able to sing very well in falsetto and in head voice, it blends very nicely. I wondered whether P.P. Arnold is compensating for the lack of Robin. Having that third voice makes it feel less unnatural to only have two yeah. voices on a Beaches album. Yeah. Bury Me Down by the River is what I regard to be the album's soulful moment. Now, we know that Give a Hand, Take a Hand was recorded during this period, and I suppose initially intended for this album. I think this would be the song that would have knocked it off. Yeah, this reminds me of a track that Elton John could have done on one of his early albums, i.e. Tumbleweed Connection. But considering what you were saying with the backing vocals and everything, I don't think this record is overproduced. It's a lot stripped down compared to Odessa. Yes, although I find that Morris is really coming of age around this period with Cucumber Castle, with his keyboard playing. Using different chord inversions, he's arpeggiating chords, and it's that variation in technique that helps with this album. I've always praised him and his ability to work with most and nearly every instrument that he uses. And talking of technique, this song is a fine example of a vocal technique that Barry uses and he'll continue to use, where he takes the lyric and when he sings it, he'll then go up through the notes of a chord. So in this example, he goes from D flat to F to G flat, building up in the key so that you get that sense of crescendo. Everything's all building up. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. This could have been the end to side one, as opposed to I Lay Down and Die. In fact, I think it probably would have made a better ending Yeah, to side one. Or even to the album. I had this down as a seven, but again, I'm going to change it. After talking about it, after playing it, it's gone up to an eight. Yeah, well, I'm still on a seven. See my dog lying under the table I see him licking my brother's girlfriend's hand Up until this point of all the songs that we've looked at in all of the episodes this is the low point for me. That's a shame because it's the first real Morris vocal we get on the album, isn't it? I know, and I don't want to put Morris down, but I find this to be the Bee Gees running on fumes. Yeah. A very sentimental and you know meaningful song about Morris's dog, Aston, named Aston after his uh, Morris's first car. All right, okay. I think it's quite a laid-back song, a slightly jazzy feel. Yes. But it's, it's harmless enough, but I, th- I think it's quite laid-back. Yeah, I completely agree with you in that it's got a laid-back feel to it, and I think that comes from, as you said, the jazz quality of the song, the syncopated, offbeat notes, and the piano is is doing the tinkling in the high Mm. end of the keys. 
I suppose it's it's a song that's more about the mood and the tone as opposed to the actual lyrical quality. And there's not much of them, is there? There's a lot of sort of harmonising to himself, isn't there? Yes. And a very sentimental video from the Cucumber Castle film of Morris in a field with his dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, going on about the dogs, I found an article from Disc and Music Echo dated July the 19th, 1969. And the article talked about Aston, Morris's Pyrenean mountain dog. And from the article it says, Morris bought Aston as a companion. At the time, Morris was so miserable the puppy was more than just a dog. He was a friend, sympathiser and comforter. Morris says, It was when I broke up from Lou for a period of about six months. I was so much in love with her, I didn't give a damn for myself. I didn't wash my hair for weeks. I drank rather too much. And Aston was the only friend I had. I used to sit and watch TV with him asleep on my lap. Then all of a sudden, Lou came back and my affections turned to her. But I'll never forget those days. They were the best days of dog owning. Oh, okay. So it makes you appreciate appreciate the song more. However, I do think that this song is the epitome for me of missing Robin on the album. Yeah. It's here where you really realise that... Just to take it up another level. Yeah, and the Bee Gees couldn't survive with just the two of them, even if Colin is there for a few of the songs. You need that third mm. brother back in. Well, this is where you needed a change of pace. Yes. It just needs to take it up and just do something different. I mean, I could put this as a B-side, but you just need something extra to, um, just as you say, take it up that extra level. And as we'll see talking about the extra tracks on this album and even going into the next episode, Morris had plenty of material from this time that would have been much better to replace this. Oh, way better. We have found another version of My Thing. However, we're not sure whether it is actually a different version of the song. Or whether it's just the same same thing with, with um, some dogs doing backing vocals. Contributing <laughs> yeah. and adding to the, the sentimentality of the song. I could song. say taking the lead, but I shan't. <laughs> I see my dog lying on the loose table I see him licking my brother's girlfriend's hand And looking at the notes on this song, I did see that Morris recorded this song entirely by himself. And that was done around about July 69. I've gone with a six on it. Four. Four. Oh, okay, you have gone low, haven't you? Yeah. Well, hopefully, Chris, the next song will perk you up. The Chance of Love. You and me, you were both the same. Is this life a lonely game? I used to be a happy man. And now I understand just what it's all about. I never had a doubt on the chance of love. The chance of love is a pleasant ballad, but personally it does nothing that first of May sound of love and I was the child have already done. Yeah. In my notes I've put again Barry's on top form of the vocals. And what I like on this song is you get about a minute into it and then he just goes off on one. And there's a rasp to his voice as well. Yeah, on the chance of love. 
Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, th- I think, as I say, he takes the song another level, which only he could do, I think. Yeah. He's been in industry then long enough. He knows how to boost a song and improve it. And he certainly does, as I say, about a minute into this. This could have been like Let There Be Love if Robin was there. Yeah. I think you could have had that moment of them, the transition between from Barry to Robin and vice versa. Sort of sharing the vocals. Yeah. I think that with the absence of Robin, the country style that I think Morris and Barry naturally lean towards is coming through. I mean, we'd seen it creeping in more and more, particularly with Odessa, Marley Put Drive, Give Your Best, and a few other numbers. But here, it's really brought to the fore. Yeah, because we've got no Robin quirky numbers, have we? No. You know, been splattered across other albums. So on that note, where do you place your scoring on this one? A seven. Funny enough, Chris, I've gone exactly the same as seven. That then brings us on to the next song, Turning Tide. When I reflect on Cucumber Castle after listening to it or before I'm going in to listen to the album and I'm looking through the track listing, I often find it difficult to distinguish between The Chance of Love and Turning Tide. Yeah. Both songs meld into one. Returning Tide was a track that they recorded the previous year. It's about the only track on it where I feel the vocals are slightly back in the mix. Yeah, they're not up front like some of the other songs, are they? Yes, I agree with you. And this is where a remix would really help this album. Yeah, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You said earlier that it was recorded the previous year, 1968, do we have that? Do we have a demo of that version? I haven't got one. And again, like we said a few times, I've scanned the internet and I can't find a copy. Um, but it would be interesting. I would like to hear the other version because I believe it has Robin singing harmony in the bridge part. And also the copyright says that it was composed by Barry and Robin. Okay. But if you look on the sleeve, it's not of the album. It would be misleading to have Robin credited on the official album yeah because then the buying public would be led to believe that he was still there yeah but at this point on the album i'm feeling that this has been a few ballads too many yeah i i think where this song is this is where an up-tempo number was needed so we've gone for chance of love for me the song suffers because of where it is if any one of these songs from this album were to be taken out and examined on their own they'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. But when you're putting them all together and sequencing them ballad after ballad after ballad, oh, there's a country moment, and then back to ballad and ballad, things get lost in the mix. Yeah. I think at this point, they could have worked on One Bad Thing, because that's composed by um, Morrison Barry. And that's a very upbeat number. Yeah. So I I think they could have slipped this one in, just to then bring you on to Don't Forget to Remember. Turning the tide to the scores... Well, I've gone with a, which I have really looking on most of them, I've gone with a six on this one. Yeah, six as well. But I can get myself over you 
Here we are, the last track on the album, Don't Forget to Remember. Oh, forgotten that one. <laughs> In fact, I might just leave. <laughs> what we're referencing to is the Bee Gees' appearance on the Clive Anderson show in 1997. Yes, the embarrassing... Um... Well, it, it, it's, it's a hard watch, isn't it? It is. For anyone who doesn't know, Clive Anderson was a UK talk show host. And a witty one as well. Who often uses sort of witty cynicism banter. Yeah, banter. Well, it's little digs at the person they're interviewing. Yeah. The problem is with this interview with the Bee Gees, it's just one dig too many. Okay, one or two jokes are fine within 10 minutes, but to have joke after joke. And if you look at Barry throughout this interview, you can see he's not comfortable. It, well, he's, he's getting angry. You can see him. his leg keeps rocking, looking at the camera. And then you get side shots of particularly Robin as well, looking at the camera thinking, oh, what's, what's, you know, they're, they're all a little bit on edge, aren't they? And then the man in the middle, Morris, who's trying to be Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. Yes. Barry talks about the band's origins. And then in the last sort of, uh, before we became the Bee Gees, we were Latossers. Yes. Which we thought was... Yeah. Um, um, You'll always be Latossers to me, but I don't I, know. <laughs> and that's why we're here. And that's why you had us on the show. This is just fuel onto the fire for Clive Anderson. And then... Discussing Saved by the Bell, Barry at this point then mentions that him and Morris released Don't Forget to Remember, to which Clive Anderson says, I'd forgotten that one. I forgot that one. And at this point, Barry leaves the studio. Yeah. Along with... And then Robin quickly follows. And, and I really like what Morris says. He says, I would stay, but I don't do impressions. Yeah. yeah I think it's very funny from him. And then he leaves in solidarity yeah. with his brothers. And Clive's left looking a bit aghast, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. But you had one very, very good uh, single on your own, there, Saved by the Bell. That was that's that right, was a good yeah, one. Do, do you feel? Oh, I don't need those other two. I can knock out something like <laughs> well, that. There's a lot of ego problems at the time, yeah. and um, I don't, I can't even remember well, we why. Had one at the same time called Don't Forget to Remember, which was. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've forgotten that one. But, yeah, we've got some. Yeah, of course. We're getting yeah. on like a storm, aren't we? Clive? Yes. <laughs> In fact, I might just leave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've never had anyone walk out before, but we are tossed up, pal. So anyway, everybody. <laughs> oh well, I guess I'd better join oh. them. <laughs> well, well, you can stay and uh, just. Well, I'd love to, but I don't do impressions. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get this off. Well, I'll get it off next door. I'll see you later, bye. Okay. Well, there you go. Let's have the Bee Gees. <laughs> but looking at the actual song itself, I find this one overly sentimental and saccharine. It's never been a favourite of mine. No. I've got it down as a bit of a plodder. I much prefer Saved by the Bell. For the single, Don't Forget to Remember was coupled with The Lord as the B-side. So, a fine single. How did it perform in the charts? Well, it did really well for them. They matched Saved by the Bell. Both of them hit number two. Whereas this one got to number 73 in the States. Robin, unfortunately, didn't get any chart placing. I can understand that performance and reception in the US if the Bee Gees are leaning towards... If Barry and Morris are leaning towards country, that could appeal more to a US audience than... I think so, yeah. Robin, who's just staying with the traditional ballad. Yeah. It was just a series of bad timings. Yeah, and, and obviously with the split, I think there was so much, would you say, bad publicity, or each of them, one in one side, and Robin the other, and it was just a... Which was more to do with how the press was perceived. It was the press, yeah. Making it look like a war of words between yeah. brothers. And I also see, Chris, that uh, when the Bee Gees were promoting Don't Forget to Remember, they went on to Top of the Pops. And on the same 
day, Robin was also performing Saved by the Bell. So they, they were literally on the same set. I'm trying to think how tempting it might have been for Robin to have joined in with his brothers and vice versa. Yeah. That must, must have been, been a... hard, mustn't it? I find also, Chris, that it's quite interesting when, when Robin is not in the group, how Barry's veered him towards country. Yes, definitely. And obviously you can tell with this one, it's it's country influence, isn't it? And going back, I've gone back to some Australian recordings, funny enough, just just because uh, I wanted to. <laughs> and there's a B-side, probably going back to 63, 64, called Don't Say Goodbye, where it's like an early attempt of this. Okay, all right, we'll play that. Please believe me, I will never be untrue. And don't believe the jealous lies they told to you. I keep telling myself that it's true. I've managed to find a couple of contemporary reviews going back to August. There's one by Cashbox. It listed it in their picks of the week, but they weren't impressed. Um, they've put operating in its new structure. The Bee Gees fade into a country ballad style, retaining only a shadow of the team's former singularity. Gently tailored to easygoing pop and teen stations, this becomes the first group song that's lacking. Okay, um, very harsh. Yeah, Record World reviewed it, and, but they've gone different. They say it's another solid winner for the Bee Gees in this country-flavoured ballad that's bound to break through. Billboard, they've also put, they've said it's an exciting country-orientated ballad, proves a potent follow-up to the Bee Gees' recent Tomorrow Tomorrow and should carry them straight to the top of the top 100. Beautiful production, work and arrangements. Well, that's much more positive and optimistic. Uh, unfortunately, for the US market, it didn't quite live up to that hype. It was no. quite underwhelming. Yeah. Especially considering it was the last lead single from the Bee Gees in the 60s. Yeah, it must have been such a disappointment to um, to go like that. And especially their first single as a duo. Yes. And I'd like to ask you something. Yeah. So, with don't forget to remember, this is the last lead single from this decade. Going from 1967, when we started with Bee Gees first, we've, we're going through to Cucumber Castle, that's five lead singles. We've got New York Mining Disaster, coupled with I Can't See Nobody. Then from Horizontal, Massachusetts, coupled with either Barker of, of the UFO or Sir Jeffrey Save the World. From Idea, the lead single was I've Got a, Guess, a Message to You, coupled with Kitty Can. From Odessa, the lead single, First of May with Lamplight, and then here, Don't Forget, coupled with The Lord. Which of those is your favourite single and which is your least favourite? What, what are your thoughts? The, the least favourite would be the last one. Because as we said before, I'm not, not, so keen, not so keen on that one. Had it been the original B-side, I Lay Down and Die, I would have preferred that anyway. So yes, that would have been my least favourite. And my favourite would be First of May and Lamplight. Because again, I couldn't quite say which of the two I prefer. Whereas in all the others, I definitely prefer the A side. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's are you better similar? It's a tricky question. Looking at this list of these five singles, 
I think New York Mining Disaster and, and I Can't See Nobody, they're two such fantastic songs. Yeah. They're so good. Really well, I would good. put that just below First of Man Lamplight. Yeah. Weakest. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you go Massachusetts, that's the only number one in there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting when you look at the lead singles, isn't it? But, um, and I think this just has to prove, though, how prolific and how fantastic were they as songwriters to get all of these singles that we're looking at. Incredible. In such a short period of time. Talking about singles, I then put a vote out on Twitter the other week and I picked the four singles released during Cucumber Castle. Those were Tomorrow Tomorrow, Backed With Sun In My Morning, Don't Forget To Remember, Backed With The Lord, If I Only Had My Mind On Something Else, Backed With Sweetheart, and I.O. I.O. Backed With Sweetheart. And it was a vote to see what people's favourite of those four singles was. At number one, the favourite was Don't Forget With The Lord. That got 63% of the votes. Then coming in at number two was Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Sun in My Morning. That had 25% of the votes. Coming in at number three, I.O. I.O. Backed With Sweethearts. Got 13%. And my personal favourite single from this period, If I Only Had My Mind On Something Else and Sweetheart, zero. Amazing, isn't it? That would be, that's my favourite. I think those are two really strong songs. But don't forget, it's clearly, yeah, that's, that's still Obviously, my favourite. are they going on popularity? On there, more or familiarity, do you think? That's true, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? During the 1973 tour, the Bee Gees did resurrect Don't Forget to Remember, and it's really great to hear it with Robin. Oh, okay. And what they did is they did a small medley where they coupled this with Odessa. Yeah. So it's, really so it's two, a, couple of, a couple of tracks. Yeah, that are, they, they've never played live before or since. Really nice recording to hear. And there was also a performance in 2006 with Barry and Robin singing Don't Forget to Remember, and it's noteworthy. Robin being there singing on this song and he takes over for one of the verses and it's a really lovely It's a good version, isn't it? Really good version. Unfortunately, like Robin's reign, Cucumber Castle ends on a bit of a low point. Don't forget to remember, I've given a five. Yeah, I've gone with a... Well, actually, I've put seven here, but I think, really, I, I was going to probably go for a six. Let's see if uh, the extra tracks can cheer us up a bit. Yeah.
Well, I think this is a great track, Chris, I do. I think this is something that's been missing in their music for a couple of albums. Not saying it's the songs, it's the best song they've done, but it's just the, the feel of it. It's, it's good, isn't it? Earlier on, you described it as raucous, and that's the perfect word for it. You're quite right, that's what's been missing from the Bee Gees. It's very reminiscent and very foreshadowing of the type of work that they would do on To Whom It May Concern. Yeah. It's that sound, but it's also a reflection of the sound of horizontal. Yeah, and I'll I tell you what, I did listen to it. I detected a falsetto in there as well. Yeah, another falsetto scream. opinion of the song has changed so much and improved so much over the past week of listening to it to give it away to joe cocker would actually be a bit of a waste yeah i think so i mean less of a waste than it is now where it's just unreleased yeah but they would have been better off holding on to it for themselves this is one of the early barry and morris compositions for the cucumber castle i get the impression they wanted to break away from the traditional ballad which they've been doing a lot of on odessa yeah Believe it or not, on the same day, they also recorded Don't Forget to Remember. You couldn't go two different songs, could you? Yeah. So whether they did that one, got it out of the system. But I did see they they must have um, really liked the song because there's also an interview with Barry with the New Musical Express um, where he says, who knows what a room, we've recently taped it for the forthcoming Bee Gees album. It's a sort of tribute to the Beatles. It's the Beatles as they were... And as they are now. That's the, the rock era of the Beatles, because this is 1970, so they're... Yeah, this is 1669. So we're talking, he's relating to the White Album, isn't he? Yeah. When was the first time that you heard Who Knows What a Room Is? It was on a bootleg CD, Bee Gees Archives or something. And did you know that it was from this period? No, what it was, it, it was a time when, so we're probably talking 2004, I'd started taking another interest in the Bee Gees again and started collecting. I did see some songs that I thought, oh, I haven't heard this, which album's it from? And it wasn't from any. So I thought, oh, I quite like this. So then I started investigating and then one thing led to another and I, and I bought a CD with all these on it. So they ranged from a couple from that we we been through on the Odessa one and this one and a few others. So it, it was good CDs worth of stuff and not too bad quality. You used to go to record fairs and I remember buying a couple of um, in concert and they were awful quality. <laughs> so I vowed never to buy one again. But as I say, listen to these. And it's not, not too bad. What we need in this is, is a really good remaster. Yeah, absolutely. That then brings us on to the next of these additional tracks, Every Time I See You Smile. Oh, 
knows what a room is we made references to the Beatles for every time I see you smile I'm getting the feeling of the Beach Boys particularly sort of around this 1970 era with Surf's Up yeah that's true similar harmonies similar chordal changes this does feel to me quite unfinished any notes on when this was recorded it looks like it was recorded around at that same time as the Lord but the song prior to this was the day your eyes met mine, and that was in July 69. So I assume this was probably in and around that time. And then you've also got, after this, then you left me and I was a child. So sort of midway through the session? I would think so, yeah. And even though this is unfinished, I prefer it a lot more to my thing. Yes. Next one we've got on our list is Every Morning and Every Night. Third one in, Chris, and I think this is probably the weakest of the three so far. Yep. I've got it down as a solo Barry composition, this one. It's a little bit, would you say, mournful. Doesn't really go anywhere. Actually, unusual that it is a solo Barry record. I didn't know that, and I put down in my notes that it sound, sounded like a combined effort between Barry and Morris. Yeah. I, w- I felt like I was hearing tones of Morris in there. But uh, the copyright is, is literally just Barry. Hmm. on this one okay yeah I, I could see why it was left off we've got arguments for the previous two but this one I can see why they decided to put it to one side yeah I think there's certain chords certain lyrics that could have inspired other songs during this era but as a whole piece it just feels like a yeah like a warm up piece let's prepare what does the piano sound like yeah um, before the day's recording and it's sort of a style of song I don't know whether they wanted to pursue because I don't see any sort of country influence in this one or do you? No I don't which is obviously what they want to do with the album I think it's best left where it is and actually I struggle to imagine it on any Beaches album yeah could we put it in there as they, sh- they should give it away for somebody else to sing that we don't like <laughs> <laughs> that, we, that don't want to have a hit <laughs> who's on the cabaret at the moment yeah, yeah. although it is funny that 
1969, Barry's got every morning and every night. And then 1970, two years on, there's every minute and every second. With a totally different tempo song. Yeah. Next, we have Give a Hand, Take a Hand, which I'm sure listeners will recognise as being a song from 1974's Mr. Natural. So we'll give our opinions of the song itself when we discuss Mr. Natural. But it's very interesting to hear this earlier version, much more stripped back. I'm glad that they held on to it for four or five years. It wasn't ready at the moment. And as I spoke about when we were discussing Cucumber Castle, Bury Me Down by the River was a good replacement in terms of a soulful moment on the album. Is this version, I think it runs slightly faster, doesn't it, than Mr Natural? Yes, it does. There goes my The next one, Chris, is called There Goes My Heart Again. I find that this song has quite a grating, descending hook. Yeah. Something about it doesn't quite work. Well, I think, to be fair, it sounds... It's obviously burying his guitar. He's, He's finding his way around the song. I can see the way he's singing is, to me, very... In what would become Cucumber Castle. But it needs to be taken into the studio. It needs Morris to embellish it. Yeah. That downward bit he was talking about reminds me of something. It reminded me of Chocolate Symphony. Yeah. The way that you've got the descending melody. We met before and once more we'll meet somewhere. But as it stands, it's exactly what I would expect from a rough demo. Yeah. Which is what it is. Listen to Cucumber Castle and these outtakes. There's already a good uh, foundation for a reissue, isn't there? You need to bulk it up with outtakes, different mixes and bits and pieces. And that's something that we didn't talk about when discussing the album Cucumber Castle. With... Because it's a short album, by the way. It's only... I think it's only about 36, 37 yeah. minutes. So any of these bonus tracks could have actually made their way yeah. on there and not have affected the vinyl grooves. But from Bee Gees first through to Robin's Reign, the versions that we've been playing to you and the ones that we've been listening to in preparation for the podcast have all been remasters from the past 15 years. But Cucumber Castle, the version that we've been listening to, this hasn't had a remaster within the last 20 years. No. So we're not hearing the album in as polished and as you know as good of a quality as we could be yeah because you either go down the remaster route or remix 
I think nowadays it's not enough to just remaster. I think a remix would really help. And with a, an album like this, when there was one of the tracks we were discussing where... Turning Tide, wasn't it? Where the vocals sounded... A bit lost in the yeah. mix. Just bring them up in the mix and it, it helps you to appreciate the different elements more. Yeah. So I think, Chris, that's covered virtually all the outtakes that we have copies of. What I've got now is, is songs which we cover normally, they give to other artists. But during this period, I've, I've picked out one single by Samantha Sang, and that's The Love of a Woman. And all the words I knew became a memory Because I believed in you Love of a Woman is the definition of a power ballad. Oh, yeah, yeah. And doesn't it make a difference? We've been a bit very critical, haven't we, of the songs they've given away to second-rate singers. A million miles better than anything that they gave to Jerry and the Pacemakers, The Marbles, David Garrick. <laughs> this, This is just... Poles apart, yeah, isn't it? it's fantastic. But it's, that's the difference when you get somebody that can, someone who can really realise. Read this, yeah, that's it. And actually, it's very odd to hear this. What, 1969, 1970? Yeah, yeah. And think how much does this sound like what Barry would sound like in ten years' time? <laughs> it's, it's good. It does, isn't it? Listen, so that that sort of breathy vocal style. This could have been put on the Barbara Streisand album. Yeah, just to give you some context to who she is. Well, Samantha Sang came over from Australia. I think she was only 17 at the time. She got in contact with Robert Stigwood, who then in turn obviously introduced her to the Bee Gees because he had big plans for her. He thought he he could turn her into the new, as we mentioned before, Barbara Streisand. Reading it, I think they had big hopes for this. They released it on Paraphone and they put big adverts in the music press announcing... Samantha sang and the world listened. Hmm. So I think it was all quite surprised when it, it wasn't a hit. She did have a hit with the Bee Gees record in 77. Yeah, with emotion. Emotion, that's it, yeah. So shall we now flip over to the B-side? Yeah. Okay. So here I am on my knees and I beg Don't let it happen again
This is very much a B-side. It's not quite as good, is it? But it, a very fine B-side and a very fine single. Yeah. I tell you what, Chris, it does remind me this of, of something that Cilla Black would have sung sort of around about 64, 65. It's got that sort of feel, bit of Burt Bacharach, and even I can imagine Shirley Bassey doing it as well. Yes. I would never have put this as a, a Gibb Brothers no. song. Whereas Love for a Woman sounds like Barry in more ways than one, this... I would never have thought it was them. You can see how their songwriting is progressing, can't you? Yes, they really are tailoring the songs that they're writing for other people to those other people. Yeah, knowing what they sing, what the style is. So on that note, Chris, shall we go through what we're left with as per normal? We'll just go through some song titles that were listed that we neither of us have heard. Yep. Yeah, okay. The first one I've got is a song called Between the Laughter and Tears. From what I can gather, Chris, this is an instrumental and it's got a full orchestral arrangement with Bill Shepard. And then the next one we've got is a song called Julia. Well, I've got two reports, actually. I've read some who said that it's a rocker with an orchestra and there's also comments saying Julia is a good ballad sung by Morris. Take that what you will. Sounds interesting. So it's a, it's a rocky ballad with an orchestra. I don't, I don't know. What have I got next? I've got an, another song called Twinkie. Now, this one is, describes a catchy Barry Sung song, possibly written for the movie of the same name, but it was actually later covered by Andy Gibb. So, again, that was... Is that in existence? No. And it's started by Barry and Morris on acoustic guitars. The multi-track features also another vocalist besides Barry. So it's also possible that this excellent song, which it describes as was actually intended for another artist. And another one on the list is called Go Tell Cheyenne. Again, this one, it just says, in the style of Morris's recent jam, have you heard the word? That's the famous track that was found in the bin, wasn't it? That people thought was done by the Beatles. So that's that's all it says on, on that one. And there's also another track, they tape called The Only Way. The basic track for the song we built around Barry and Morris strumming an acoustic guitar and Morris on the lute. There was a song called Please Don't Take My Man Away, which I believe was given to Lulu to try out. And then obviously Samantha Sang tried it out. But again, I've not heard either of the two. I think last of all, Chris, there's a song called Be My Friend, which is listed on Joseph Brennan's list of songs, but I can't find any info on that one at all. Oh, and Chris, I nearly did forget to mention that they also recorded End of My Song, which we discussed quite thoroughly didn't we in the, on the first podcast yeah so I think that about finishes every song because I think we're covered haven't we from sort of March to December yeah as ever thank you to Joseph Brennan and Andrew Sanderville for your amazing sources of information we'd be lost without it wouldn't we yeah we really would it's worth also mentioning that between Odessa and Cucumber Castle they released the best of Bee Gees well volume one as it turned out to be um, but the usual thing about this one is that in America, it was released in June of 69. And then in the UK, about four months later in October. The only reason that I can think for that delay is because in May, Tomorrow Tomorrow was released as a single. In the US, it got to 54. That's right, 23 here, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's quite poor performance in the US. So whether they decided... Okay, let's release a compilation that doesn't include Tomorrow Tomorrow just to get sales back up for oh. the Bee Gees. And then in the UK, 
August, uh, Don't Forget to Remember, coming out, didn't it? So uh, whether they wanted to release that single, see how that performed, as we said, it got to number two. And then literally in October, they put out this. In the UK? Yeah. It's strange, but I think it's a fine. That was the 60s. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it's a fine compilation. There's not much there I'd change other than... Well, I think I've said before, I, I would, I definitely wouldn't have every Christian in there. No. Um, Spicks and Specs, I suppose it was the first time a UK release, because it's not on any other album. And I suppose you've got a couple of things that was not words um, that didn't make an album. But in retrospect, I think that they really missed a trick in releasing Best of Bee Gees in the US in June, because don't forget to remember it was released in July. And as that didn't perform too well in the US, I think if they'd have then released the compilation afterwards and then included Don't Forget on that compilation, it would have really proved, under the title of Best of Bee Gees, it would have said that, well, despite this performing poorly, it's classed as Best of Bee Gees. And I think it would have been just a better way to re-support that single yeah. and try and get it back out there again. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it's... Well, you, what, what, you'd have substituted it for one of the other ones. Yeah, take off every Christian line. Yeah, it's the same as me. Yeah, because I think that 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 is a good compilation, and I like that it includes Spicks and Specs, but it seems to just sort of cut off at Odessa, and it isn't really looking forwards. It's just a oh, here's everything that's happened so far in the sixties. Yeah. So how did this perform in the charts? Did really well in the US, number nine. In the UK, did number seven, but surprisingly, considering. They've had a lot of top 10 singles in Germany. The album only reached number 26. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's because everybody in Germany brought all the singles. Yeah, they didn't need to own them again. They didn't own them again, yeah. It's quite, quite bizarre, isn't it? After recording sessions for Cucumber Castle, or most recording sessions, end September 1969, there's a gap of about half a year until it sees a release in April 1970. Yes, and whether that reflects in its chart positions, Chris, but UK, it tumbled in at 57 and it just tickled the charts in America at 94. Not a fantastic No, uh, and it's the weakest showing in Germany as well at number 36. It makes sense for the US. If they didn't want, don't forget to remember, why would they want the album? Yeah, it must have been It must have been a real disappointment to them. And I don't want to put thoughts into Barry and Morris's minds, but if they saw that this performed poorly overseas, then they must have realised that having just two members isn't working. Yeah, and so that's probably why, for the rest of 1970, they pursued solo careers. Yes, because the story isn't over yet for Cucumber Castle. The TV film isn't released until the 26th of December 1970. And a reason why it was pushed back so far, you've got the album coming out in April. Recording of the TV film was done in 69 and in parts of 1970. Even though the BBC had bought the rights to premiere Cucumber Castle, it was delayed until December because they were waiting on confirmation or they wanted to make sure that Robin was back in the group. And there were also some preliminary plans to try and get Robin into the film. Oh, okay. But it would have been too complicated with re-records to try and slot him in. Yeah. 
do you know anything about Cucumber Castle? What happens? Now, I don't know anything about this TV film either, but I looked on Wikipedia and I looked at the synopsis. Okay, so I'll read it out to you. Yeah. The plot revolves around two heirs, Prince Frederick, Barry Gibb, and his brother, Prince Marmaduke, Maurice Gibb, and their dying father, played by Frankie Howard. On his deathbed, the king orders his kingdom to be divided into two halves, the kingdom of jelly and the kingdom of cucumbers. Before the king dies, Prince Frederick declares himself the king of cucumber, and Prince Marmaduke becomes the king of jelly. Are you following me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The film intersperses comedy sketches with BG songs, plus performances by Lulu and Blind Faith, with several cameo appearances. At the end, the king changes his mind and comes back, saying, I think those pills are working. Is is it anything like Magical Mystery Tour? Do you think it was written on the spot? Yeah, I should think so. I, I imagine from reading that synopsis and from the clips that I've seen from this TV film that it was one of those ad-libbed on the spot. There's a loose script or a loose idea, but Barry and Morris and everyone involved is just playing and bouncing off ideas. Yeah, and I also think as well, the way the Bee Gees work... Come December 17th, they're already back together thinking about the next project. And they never tend to look backwards, do they? No. And showing something with just two of them in is is, is going backwards. Which is not what they want. No. no. They want to prove that they're back as a threesome. It guest stars quite a few people, names that would have been big in Britain in late 1960, 1970. Well, Frankie Howard was a sort of comedian. He was, he was in one or two Carry On films. Also has Vincent Price. Eleanor Bron, she starred in Help. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the Beatles. Uh, Lulu, as we mentioned, also cameos from Robert Stigwood and a very young Andy Gibb. Oh, okay. I found an article from the NME dated 14th of November, 1970, so a month before its broadcast, or thereabouts. And Robin says... It is a disappointment that I cannot be added to the show. I would have liked to have been a court jester, but I hope that the fans will understand when they see it that this does not mean that we are back to two Bee Gees, because by this point the Bee Gees have reunited. So it must have been a bit of an odd thing that the Bee Gees had all come back together as the three brothers, but they still had this unreleased film with just Barry and Morris. Because it's been in the planning years ago, isn't it? They mentioned it. Now, for music lovers like you and I... Mm. The film is worthy of note. It features, as you'd expect, Bee Gees songs, but also musical uh, instrumental versions of certain songs, as we'd expect, Cucumber Castle from Bee Gees first. There was a copyright for a competition, Cucumber Castle, and Dad and I, who love to discover new Bee Gees compositions... Is it Cucumber Castle theme or something? We were attracted to this title, and I could only find segments of the Cucumber Castle TV show on the internet. And I looked through and watching the opening four minutes, there is a slight instrumental, but then it just as the titles and the opening credits roll, but it just goes into an instrumental version of Cucumber Castle. So I wonder whether that's what the Cucumber Castle theme is.
we spoke earlier about the album packaging, and I've got in front of me the Gatefold LP yeah. that you acquired from 1986 from uh, Roundabout Records. You left a lovely note in your when you ordered it, their handwritten receipt. So if they're still about Roundabout Records in Kent, thank, yeah. thank you very much yeah. for, for sending this. Looking at it, it's a really well-designed package. You've got pictures of uh, Barry and Morris in... Their full regalia, aren't they? Yeah, the old as medieval Marmaduke and what was it, Frederick? The yeah, two characters, jelly and cucumber. Yeah, we can see they're holding that. Some odd choices in font colours on the right hand side of the picture of Morris on the gatefold. For some reason, they've chosen black font, which you can't read at all. I'm trying to read the album credits, and I can just about see that Bill Shepherd's credited, but oh, his okay. name has faded completely. Also, Worthy of note, something that I noticed because I've got no other time on my hands, yeah. <laughs> is that if I only had my mind on something else, is instead credited as if only I had my mind on something else. That didn't you're get past gonna, the you're eye. You're not going to be able to sleep tonight. No. That. And then on the CD version, the back cover where the stained glass window is, where you've got Barry and Morris, they've been taken out. They've just zoomed in on the top right and put the put the track titles on the back there. Then when you open it up and you pull out the tiny bit of paper, that is the correct picture. Again, on that back of the CD, why they've gone for black font? Because you can't read the titles at all. But yeah, it's red on the back of the cover, though, isn't it? It's yeah, red, but but not on the CD. But it's definitely more eye catch, isn't it, with vinyl? Yes. Yeah, and a complete change from Odessa, where on the front and back. There was no BG to be seen, was no. there? This one, they, they're, they're, they're telling you straight away, there's Barry, there's Morris. This is the two of us. And them. that's the two of us. Yeah. As ever, I look towards Amazon to get a overall understanding of how this album has been received. And I found that from 58 ratings, it averaged 4.6 out of 5. Oh, okay. There is a really good article all about Cucumber Castle as it turned 50 okay. yeah. in 2020 by Tim Roxburgh on his site, The Roxburgh Report. Tim has done some really great interviews with Barry Gibb and also recently took part in an interview with the Gibbology podcast, which okay. is highly recommended. They did an f- excellent episode talking about Living Eyes turning 40 years old. I highly recommended that podcast. Sarah does a, an excellent job with that, running mm-hmm. that podcast. She does a really good job. So yeah, very much recommended from us. But in Tim's article on Cucumber Castle, he says... Cucumber Castle should no longer be relegated to the likes of a minor footnote in the overall tale of the Bee Gees. The Gibbs' obvious love of American music manifested into one of the most cohesive albums the group ever made, and one that retrospectively gives clues as to why their career-defining mid-70s R&B overhaul was not as out of left field as it may have first seemed. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and I'd not considered... No, the, I wouldn't have done. ...the R&B aspects beforehand, but reading that really made me reconsider. So do you think he was sort of thinking songs like Bury Me Down by the River, and then introducing P.P. Arnold as well? Yes, having the female voice, which yeah. for Barry Gibb then in the 1980s with Barbara Streisand and Dionne Warwick, etc. So yeah, it's a really good summary by Tim. Yeah, and re- reading his article, Chris, I wouldn't say I agree with everything he says, but... He'd ideally exchanged, I think it's three of the last songs, and he'd put Who Knows What A Room Is, also Tomorrow Tomorrow and Sun In My Morning. And he would drop my thing 
as well as I was a child and turning tide. Okay, yeah, that's got me thinking as to whether I would agree with replacing those songs. Who knows what a room is, I think is excellent, but I don't know whether it fits in to this album, which I think I mentioned earlier. I've got no problem with Tomorrow Tomorrow, Sun in My Morning, but yeah. But it's interesting that people see different albums. Yes. Going on from what Tim's discussed here with which songs he would replace, I'll now ask you, if you were to take four songs from Robin's Reign, put them onto Cucumber Castle, which four songs would you put on and which four songs would you lose? Without thinking, the first two I'd pick are the A and B side, Saved by the Bell and Mother and Jack. Yep. The third choice would be August, October. The fourth, Chris, I think would be a little bit difficult because... I definitely wouldn't have Farmer Ferdinand's Hudson, Lord Bless All, no. I would probably go for either Weekend or The Worst Girl in This Town. Um, Let's go for The Worst Girl in This Town then. Okay. Though you probably ask me this tomorrow and that one might change. Three three I definitely wouldn't, but the fourth one... mm. And which songs from Cucumber Castle would you lose? Well, it would have to be... Which is a shame, really, but it's probably my thing. Yeah. Because um, that would leave a Morris one out. Um, Turning Tide, probably The Chance of Love. Again, it's a, it's a fourth one, which is quite similar to, to Robin's, but I might actually go with something like Don't Forget to Remember. Okay, so you're taking off the last four songs from side two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably left, don't forget to remember, just as as a single on its own. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, do you go with yours? I would... Well, from Robin's Reign, I would... Very similar to you. August, October, Mother and Jack, Saved by the Bell. I think Mother and Jack gives rising tempo without going too much. Yeah. And and, and, and being in that 3-4 waltz time, Mm. it's different to anything on Cucumber Castle. And I'd also take... Give Me a Smile. I really like that song. And I'd lose from Cucumber Castle, My Thing, Turning Tide, I Was the Child, and I-O-I-O, perhaps. Would you? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that that um, I-O-I-O, I did happen to read recently, that that actually got into the German charts in 2003, some boy band. Wow, okay. Yeah. That's, not, that's... not that I ever heard it. I just, it was just, I don't know, I was reading something, I just suddenly come across, and I thought, oh, well. That's a deep cut. Yeah. On Apple Music, Cucumber Castle is given a little bit of information. Right. So that- People can read about the album before perhaps choosing to listen to it. And the review is by Brian Jabba Smith. And he says, Likely the most ignored album in the Bee Gees canon, and named after a tune on the trio's 1967 debut, 1970s Cucumber Castle brims with the band's classic pre-Saturday Night Fever sound. Autumnal pop psych and finely wrought strings mixing with lots of wholly unironic lyrics and lost love Melancholia. While both Then You Left Me and the gospel-hued Bury Me Down by the River are sonic equivalents of heartbreaking 
the sugary power of Io Io might be that year's best pop song, upheld by Barry Gibb's Lennon-esque vocals and Morris Gibb's McCartney-ish bass lines. This album dropped after the band's 1969 double LP doozy Odessa. The brothers Gibb had enough of each other by then and all but split up, which might explain the eyebrow-raising King Arthurian suits of armour on the album's cover. In fact, Robin Gibb is no-show here, but you'd hardly notice. Mm. On All Music, Michael Oford says, What sets this album above the others is that there is not a bad cut on the album, and Barry's vocals are particularly strong and heartfelt. Although most of the cuts deal with the usual subject of love, and particularly love lost, superb eye for detail in the arrangements of the songs give them added life. Adding a few songs with classic sing-along melodies, such as Sweetheart and Don't Forget to Remember, certainly doesn't hurt the cause. All in all, this is a fine album that cements the Brothers Gibbs' reputation as superior pop songwriters and craftsmen. I agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then on Rolling Stone, Gary Von Tersch says, Not since the days of the Righteous Brothers have I heard such powerful harmonies coupled with inventive musical diversity. Mm, all very positive, aren't they? Yeah. Really positive. It's it's amazing that, that as time's gone by, how records can change on, in hindsight. Yes. I think that's what's important. The, the old saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Mm. That time between an album's release, people then looking back, realising what was happening during a period and being able to really reflect on an album... We've found that with Paul McCartney's Ram, haven't we? Yes. How it got slaughtered back in 71 when it was released as one of his worst bits of work since the Beatles. And now it's rated probably one of his top three or four solo albums, isn't it? Well, it's my favourite. Yeah. And actually, we've been recording this podcast with big smiles on our faces, having... Well, we just started on Peter Jackson's excellent Get Back documentary series... And what that does really well, as we've just been saying, is that it really makes you reevaluate that album, which mm. has been really misaligned for the past 50 years. It just brings everything from 50 years ago to life. And seeing that crystal clear footage from 1969 really makes you want to see, can we have the same for the Bee Gees? Can we see the Spirits Having Flown concert, please? Yeah. Do you want Peter Jackson to do Cucumber Castle then? Oh, I'd like <laughs> he can do as good as a job as he has with the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. Bring anything on, isn't it? Yeah. And digging out my trusty record collector, <laughs> which I think we've used a few times on this podcast, they sort of say Cucumber Cassa is another very mixed bag with the country influence creeping in again on Sweetheart, The Lord and the Phil Spectorish I Lay Down and Die. Barry's ability to write strong tunes with catchy hooks was showcased on two of the best tracks, I Was the Child, and If Only I Had My Mind on Something Else, which was issued as a single, as we've said before. Yep. And they sort of stay, which I hadn't thought about, it's their last charting album in the, U- in the UK for nine years. So Main Course and Children of the World didn't chart? No, not in the UK. Wow, okay, that's news to me. That's really interesting. Mm. For nine years, not counting soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I then asked our lovely audience what they think of this album, and we had some great feedback coming back in. Frode777, as with Odessa, gave us a fantastic essay for Cucumber Castle. He says, Since you are reviewing Robin's Reign and Cucumber Castle in following order, I decided to give them both a spin on my turntable and make up my own opinion about them. Getting straight to the point, I could not wait for Robin's Reign to finish. There are two or three good songs on it, but the drum machine, the simple arrangements, and also Robin's vocals bore me. Cucumber Castle is a totally different story, and, in my ears, this is wonderful stuff. Normally, I do not listen to a lot of country-inspired music, but I like this rather unique Bee Gees album. The production, the arrangements, and the vocals here are great, and there is a great variety of songs. Does this mean that the Bee Gees did not need Robin? Of course not. It just means that Barry and Moe managed to make a great album together, even without Robin. I am a huge fan of Robin's vocals on Bee Gees albums, but one third of the Bee Gees cannot compare with two thirds of the Bee Gees. Maybe it is Barry's qualities when it comes to production which is sorely missing on Robin's reign, or perhaps it is the multi-instrumentalist Morris we miss the most. Remember, Morris also sings a lot on Cucumber Castle. That is mm. a really fascinating... Really good, yeah. Really good look at it. Yeah, and he says as well, um, turntable. So has he got Robin's Reign on vinyl? Yeah. Love to hear it. Must sound really good. Crystal clear drum machines. Yeah. <laughs> a Chris Jack says, The album is missing the unique musical contribution from Robin, but it is still enjoyable. The movie is definitely of its time and not particularly good. Bee Gees fan 1979 then says, Definitely a good album. The movie, not so much. <laughs> a great effort nonetheless from Morris and Barry, continuing the Bee Gees whilst Robin pursued a solo career. And then Jolene Duparton says, I really love this album with the country music slant on it. When Barry talks about Greenfields and how he always loved country music, Cucumber Castle just proves that's true. The Lord is such a random song, but so catchy and fun to listen to. The movie is a guilty pleasure. You can tell they have a lot of fun making it. They didn't take themselves too seriously. Which I, I suppose... Well, dressing up like that, you can't, yeah, can you? At the end of the day, you have to remember that this is just brothers having yeah. fun. They're, they're making music that they love. Yeah, what a life they've all lived. Well, considering six, six, well, since we started in 67, they've always been talking about doing a film, a TV programme, haven't they? So it's not something that's suddenly come in. It, it, it's... It, they fulfil their wishes, haven't they? Yeah. Okay, I've counted up and divided and found the average for our scores from Cucumber Castle from before and after doing this podcast. Yeah. So for you, you've gone up by 0.1, from a 7 to a 7.1. And I went up from a 5.3 to a 6.5. So really changed my opinion. Is there any one or two that's, that's shot up? Oh, looking at the songs, for me, IOIO went from a 5 to a 6. The Lord went from a 4 to a 7. I Was the Child from a 5 to a 7. I Lay Down and Die from a 5 to a 7. Bury Down by the River, 5 to an 8. My Thing, 3 to a 4. Chance of Love, 6 to a 7. 
So that basically everyone's gone up. Yeah, and for you, they all stayed the same except for Chance of Love went from up from a six to a seven. Yeah. And that proves, doesn't it, that listening to something three or four times, one play, and it it's like background music if you just listen to it for the first time. You just need to listen to it and let the songs get into you. Yeah. And I've written down the way that I now consider Cucumber Castle. As with all bands, there are moments of transition. And for the Bee Gees, this is Cucumber Castle. Even though the departure of Robin does become noticeable and is a detriment to the overall quality, Cucumber Castle manages to cleverly walk the line between ballads and country whilst retaining the essential Gib trademark of memorable melodies and unified harmonies. Although the Bee Gees as a two-piece could not be sustainable, Barry and Morris prove all that is necessary to justify the Bee Gees moniker. Yeah. And even objectively looking at it, perhaps my favourite album artwork so far from them, I think it's a really luxurious Mm. package. Gorgeous photos, really well presented. It's very clear this is the Bee Gees, even if it is just Barry and Morris. And this is for Cucumber Castle. I think it's a really great cover that stands out. Eye-catching. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't turn into sales, though. No. Which then becomes... Well, it becomes... A repeating pattern for the mm. next few albums. As we'll go on to find out. Yeah. And also it becomes quite interesting here going into the next few albums because, and this is where doing all the research and listening to the albums repeatedly is really going to help out because I generally struggle with the next few albums going up to Mr. Natural. My opinion of them is quite low. Mm. So this is where, for me, doing all of this is really going to really going to help. And I'm going to see if I can dig out some vinyl copies if I can. Um, from these I mean I've got vinyl of To Whom It May Concern but I think I've got to try and find Trafalgar in two years on try and get a decent copy yeah 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 put those on the turntable finally fame reach the top I'll keep on pushing never stop if I could just forget her name for the next few episodes Chris I think we're, we're going to delve into um, Bee Gees all three of them separately. Next episode, we're going to concentrate on Morris's amazing songs or amount of songs from 1970. And what I'd like to do on that one is, I think he started writing stuff in 69 and 70. So I think we'll cover The Loner, along with his material around that throughout 69 and 70. Yeah. And then to follow that, we're going to cover Barry's The Kid's No Good. And then after that, we're back again with Robin. Yeah. Sing Slowly Sisters. I'm looking forward to these next three episodes. I am too, because it, it's so diverse, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and we are, were able to isolate each of the three brothers and look at what they were doing late 60s, 1970, see what each of them were getting up to. And it's a really great way of being able to understand, okay, this is Morris, this is what he's all about. This is what Barry's doing with P.P. Arnold and the music that they're making. Mm-hmm. And then this is what Robin... The material that he was doing, which without spoiling too much, but getting on to Sing Slowly Sisters, there's a great maturity there going on from Robin's debut album. I think you can see a definite improvement, can't you? Yeah. The songwriting. Yeah, we'll, we'll mention it a bit more, but it, it, it's more fuller production, I think. But before then, we'll leave you with a preview for the next episode. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah, even next year. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have a very good new year. Yeah, all the best from me as well. 
Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. But all these troubles don't